I absolutely hated being at home as a kid. Night after night, our house came alive with the sound of footsteps shuffling across the floorboards. Eerie whispers floated from my bedroom closet as I drifted off to sleep. I'd awake the next morning to find the door cracked open. I avoided the basement like poison, overwhelmed by the sinking feeling of being watched whenever I so much as set foot on the stairs. Needless to say, I spent a good portion of my childhood hiding under a blanket. One summer night, a violent thunderstorm rolled through. The memory is vivid. Lightning streaked incessantly across the sky. Not the usual flashes of white and blue, but a bright, blinding green. The power went out. My father sent me to the kitchen for candles and a flashlight. As I crept down the dark hallway, something large and indistinct sprang from the bathroom door at the opposite end. A deep, throaty growl stood my hair on end. Nice try, I quavered, assuming the shape was just my father trying to scare me. No sooner had the words come out than I felt his hand on my shoulder. From behind. Without a sound, my father yanked me into the living room and slammed the hallway door. He'd seen it too. For what seemed like an eternity, the growling carried on as whatever it was paced back and forth behind the door. We huddled together on the living room couch all night, waiting out the raging storm and that god-awful noise from the hallway. The next morning, no trace of what we'd experienced remained. Life went on. We moved out not long after, selling the house to some cousins who planned to flip it for a profit. I kept in touch with them. They experienced their own share of odd things. Footsteps, scratching in the walls, loud thuds echoing from the basement bulkhead. They swore they could hear breathing from an unlit storage room near the stairs. Years later, when my father was battling cancer, he and I developed a habit of watching cheesy ghost hunting shows. Naturally, the topic of what we'd seen and heard that night came up. He dropped a bombshell on me. Our old house had once been a funeral home. In fact, originally my bedroom closet had been the elevator shaft through which bodies were delivered to the basement for embalming. And that hallway? It had once fed directly into the viewing parlor. Hi, I'm Jamie Markey. And I'm Michael Tatum, and this is Ghoul Intentions, Hooray. the musical. The, no, oh not God. really. It's not. Yeah, one day we're going to do a t- completely musical episode. Won't that be fun? We will. And then you'll be like, "Don't please don't ever do that again." No, I Thank can't. you. We should title one. One day we should title one of our episodes "Empty Chairs and Empty Tables" just because it's a good. That would be. Fun. It's the only song That'd I like fun. from Limbs. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of of Lamez, uh, that's my best segue because Brandon was in Lamez. He was. He uh, was. Thank you to Brandon, Michael, yes. Brandon, and you sang empty, empty chairs and empty story. tables in that production. He did. So yes, thank he you did. for doing. Yes. Thank you, Great babe. Job. Thank you, babe, for doing the, and the opener. That was. That from... came from Reddit. User like I submit a string of letters and numbers. Right? What is it? Uh, D S R I seven. Sounds like a like a android from the Star Wars universe. But hey, they can have spooky be. experiences too. That was a good, That's really right. cool That's story. Right. 
great job. Reworked a little great bit job, uh, to, to lend itself to dramatic reading, but all the details are there. So um, awesome. Thank you for that for that Reddit submission. <laughs> probably They probably yes. don't listen to the show. Red- Thank you um, for submitting Reddit to our eyeballs <laughs> when we read it. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, yeah. And oh, Brandy, Reddit's so good. It's creepy. The idea yeah, of so living good. in an old funeral home fascinates me. I kind of, mm-hmm. this is going to sound morbid, I, I'm aware, but probably total, totally normal coming from me. I want to live in a funeral home at some point. I mean, if it's an old enough home, it kind of was anyway. It may well, not that, be a lot of true. different that's people That's true, but like a place through, where they actually prepared uh, bodies for burial, which, which yeah. well, and, and again, if it's old enough, they probably did it there too, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Speaking of old enough. Right, right. Do you have <laughs> so stories for us? I went to, uh, we went to go get the girls. They're home. We have Yay, them for the summer again. The girls are back. We're all very happy. Yes. And um, so we thought we were going to go to Memphis again, but drama happened. I don't know. And we ended up having to go freaking through freaking Mississippi That's again. Like and fucking two and a half more hours out of your way. Yeah. And, well, I just hate. Mer- There's nothing to do in Meridian. So what we decided to do was stop in Vicksburg because, of course, we've talked about Vicksburg yeah, before yeah. because we drove through, I think, two years ago yeah. and uh, for Christmas. And <laughs> we went to that big cemetery. We had such a great time. <laughs> so I was like, surely there is somewhere fun to stay. And so I stayed at a bed and breakfast that uh, is – it was pretty amazing. Um, and it has several different rooms. And, of course, you know um, – it's from this old house. It's the Bear House, B-A-E-R, the Bear House Inn. Bayer. I guess that's Bayer. 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 Or Bayer. Mayor or Bauer. The Bear House Inn. Um, see, Bauer, I would think. Would oh, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. You're right. You're right. B-A-E. Yeah, okay. So, anyway, it is lovely. If you get a chance it to stay looks, there, please stay from there. From the outside, in the picture you showed mm-hmm. me, it looked, what did I say? I said it looks like a, someone took all the best parts from the Haunted Mansion in Disney World and the Haunted Mansion in Disneyland yeah. and, like, smashed them together. Yeah, and there are a bunch of places like that to stay in Vicksburg. I mean, you just drive and you're like, Haunted, 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 <laughs> it's Haunted, like, Haunted. A <laughs> lot, of, lot of things built in the 19th century, um, and this was built and is on a haunted tour. They do a drive. And so we went uh, and and stayed, and I didn't really say anything at first. I wanted to see if anything would happen, um, and we stayed in this front room upstairs. Which, so it had a bay window, mm. this huge bed, and everything is. It seems very accurate. You know, it's it's older, you yeah, know, uh, furniture yeah. And, and stuff like that. Uh, um, but there's AC and, and oh god, know, the <laughs> running best water of both and stuff. worlds. That's right. That's right. Um, most of the rooms have their own ensuite, but some don't. Because most of these bed and breakfasts are like breakfasts. Bre- breakfast. <laughs> most breakfasts. of these bed and breakfasts are like this. So <laughs> just know that uh, when you're looking and booking, if you want to, if you, an ensuite is important to you, make sure you look at the fine print. Um, look at the pictures. Explain to our listeners like what an ensuite is. An ensuite is when the bathroom is connected to your room and you don't have to go to a hallway to perhaps share that restroom with another room. So uh, it's not college. Important to know, travelers. Important to know. I don't want to live my life like that anymore. So, And that just is very common with bed and breakfasts. They, yeah, they well, because they're, most so, of them are older houses and, and you know, that yes. were probably built before plumbing, so they were lucky to have one bathroom mm-hmm. indoors. Right. Well, and, you know, normally <clears throat> if we stay, you know, I'll book through Hotwire or something mm. like that. Um and you stay at your Holiday Inn or, you know, different 
Hampton Courtyard Express, stuff like that, that just is cheap and easy on the road. Yeah. And it's not much more. And once I was like, but we get a nice home-cooked breakfast in the process. I mean, and it was great. The morning she made this cheesy egg casserole situation with some sriracha Mm. sriracha on top. We happened to be staying with, um, uh, there were only four people in the entire house. And there are several more rooms than that. Mm. So not very busy still because coronavirus. Right. And um, they we socially distanced at breakfast, but the people sitting with us actually were from Dallas. Oh, wow. So that was kind of fun. Yeah, we talked about a lot. We actually talked about a wow. lot. And so the woman was in mortgage, had been in mortgage for like 30 years. So she and Jack just talked and talked and talked. It was really funny. Um, and so, and then the man uh, in the 70s did like mowing and stuff for cemeteries. Oh, Literally. Yeah, like he worked in cemeteries. You I was just like, attract these people world. to you. They, they're, you I are know, a beacon for cool. the living and the dead, Jamie. Yes, yes. So the breakfast was really nice. Jack really liked the coffee. I didn't have any, but he thought it was excellent. Mm. Juice, you know, the whole thing. They have two little kittens that stay outside oh. that they kind of adopted. And so <laughs> these little kittens that were playing around and thumping around. It was really cute. Um, uh, and I so for the most part, nothing, nothing happened uh, that night. And I found out later, though, that Jack woke up and he heard like a thunk and a slide, like something fell over and, like, and shifted was, and pushed or shifted Ooh. down. And he doesn't know what it was, but he definitely heard something. Ooh. And then, of course, he said, that's weird. And then went back to sleep. <laughs> I didn't notice anything. Oh, so a little, a little something, um, a little morsel, little morsel a little morsel of otherworldly goodness. Yeah. And so after breakfast... Um, uh, I was getting ready and stuff, and I wanted to go look downstairs because uh, we had an extra hour to kill, and I wanted to see if there was anything to do. It was Sunday morning. There wasn't. Um, so we played. There's a room. They had pool. So we played a game of pool to kill time. Rough. But I went and talked to Patricia, the owner. She's lovely. Uh, she and I believe her husband own it. Um, they're actually from California. But oh, nice. <laughs> they are they are so hospitable, and we were just wonderful. And so I asked her about the haunting, and she said she's a skeptic. She didn't really believe in that, but there were a couple of things that happened, and she just doesn't know what to believe. <laughs> and so one of the things she talked about is on the tour, and you see this online, there is a picture of a family that stayed there. They moved in in, the, in 1925, I think, but the house is much older than that. The Bears you know, yeah. uh, originally stated it, stayed in there. And the uh, Williams, I think is what it was, they had tons of kids. <laughs> so it's a picture of these two parents and I think like six or seven kids. Uh, and, you know, there's a shadow because they use those big flash powder. Yeah, the the, the, the old, years. like, wet plate, or not wet plate, what are they called? Um, but, yeah, the, the basically the, 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 bl- f- the plate boxes. Right. And it, so it was still, it was more instant. You didn't have to freeze. But there would be a big old flash, and you can see a couple of the kids are reacting to that giant <laughs> flash. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty funny. <laughs> and, uh... And so there's a shadow of the dad's head in the back because of the flash. Mm -hmm. And so people will often say that that was one of their children that passed away wanting to be in the picture with them. And so you could see them show up in the picture if you take a picture of it or whatever. And so she said that they talk about it on the tour. They'll come in and do it on the driving tour, but it's just a story. She's like, it's a good story, but it's not true because when they bought it, two of those children were still alive along with a third that's not in the picture that was born afterwards. And they said all of the children lived to adulthood. Mm. So there were no children to show up in a picture as a spirit at that time. Hmm. 
Yeah. Huh. So it's she's like, it's a nice story, but and she's like, now one of the things though that happened to me, I can explain, is that there was a the guy that owned the house before her, and it's what it said is that the woman. Um, Mrs. Bayer, I guess, who originally lived there, stays in the house. She had passed away in the house. Most likely, everybody passed away in the house <laughs> at that time period. Pretty much, yeah. Um, and so, yeah. And so they think that maybe she's still there because she loved the house so much. I mean, it's beautiful. It's huge. It's ginormous in the stairwell. And you would feel so short in there, Michael. Oh, the ceilings are huge. Like and just very grand. Bliss. It's just a great. There's a, there was a chandelier above our bed. It was really oh. And so uh, she said that the guy that lived there before, he had this one particular room that had a lot of Asian antiques because he lived in Japan or something like that. And so they uh, had one particular room that had this theme. And the when they first opened the room, because they would do different rooms at, you know, at different times, and they opened the room, and the first woman that stayed there the night that it was open for the first time, single woman by herself, mm-hmm. The next morning, she came down for breakfast, and they asked her if she had a nice night. And she's like, yeah, everything was fine, but I seem to have misplaced my glasses. I can't find them anywhere, and it's pro- I probably can't find them because I'm not wearing my glasses. You- <laughs> That's a circular <laughs> problem. my assumption. That's, it makes sense. So she asked if somebody would go up to the room to look for her, and they did, and they couldn't find the glasses. They have no idea what happened to them. They hmm. just disappeared from her hmm. room. And this happened... 22 times single women staying in that room their glasses would disappear and the time that he was working there or owned the house it happened 22 times to different women why like what's the what's the mo of the ghost is like no i don't i don't know i want you to see me i need these like that's yeah weird that's weird that's fun so then 21 22 times it was a story 22 22 times times. 22 times damn and so she thought you know um Okay, whatever, you know, I'll believe it when I say <laughs> That's it weird. That's weird, yeah. She's very much like that. That's weird. And so she, uh, what she'll do, they'll do is, especially when they first bought it, they would clean the rooms themselves. Then they, Now they have a maid service. But they would clean the rooms themselves and go through it. And then uh, she would walk whoever was staying in that room up to the room to show them around and make sure everything, turn the lights on and make sure everything was still where it needed to be, that they didn't forget anything, something like that. So she goes in, and they ha- and they uh, do the floors at the end. So they'll clean everything, and then they kind of back out as they sweep and mop and vacuum and mm-hmm. all that stuff. So they had done that, and she comes in, and she sees something out of the corner of her eye, underneath, like kind of sticking out from under the bed. And she's like, what is that? And she reached down and just picks it up and puts it in her pocket as she shows the room. And when she looks at it, it is the edge of a pair of glasses that go over your ear. Just the piece just that, that goes over tip, your ear. Just a little tip, a little hook. A little tip, and she showed it to me. What? And it's just that little part that goes over your ear. And she's like, "That was weird. I just put it in my apron and kind of forgot that about somehow it." Somehow makes it so much strange. freakier. Like it's like something is eating those glasses. Right. <laughs> and then she said that not long after that, they had made a bed that had a cream comforter. Mm-hmm. So they made it. She goes in. She comes back, and right in the middle of the bed. Is one a full side of a pair of glasses? They were gold rimmed <laughs> glasses, like the ear part all the way up, and it's like mangled by where the the eye part would be, yeah. right? Like where the glasses part would be, but it's just the, the whole ear side. Weird. And it was just sitting on top of the bed, and she kept it, and she's kept them both, and she said, "I kind of feel like maybe whatever the spirit is, if it's the woman, whatever that." 
she was taking away from that other guy. But I feel like to me, she's giving it back. She's giving me gifts as a way of like approving. And and also knowing I'm a skeptic probably to be like, I'm here, but also you're doing a great job. So she feels like it's comforting. <laughs> I don't know. Thing. The fact that the glasses are mangled <laughs> kind of makes it seem like a threat. <laughs> I know, like, right? I'll but give if you they glasses were already mangled in the process of time. Yeah. And I mean, and they looked everywhere for those glasses That's that disappeared. Weird. They ended up having a psychic come in and this was before she got it, but they had a, like a ghost hunters come in and they thought that there was a, a piece of furniture or something that was responsible, but they looked everywhere for these glasses and they've never found them. Huh. But now I guess the house and she's like, I got 42 other sides of glasses. I guess I'm going to find. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I thought that was a really like, good she's story. She's going to find like a trail of pieces of glasses and they're going to be like, they're going to lead to like a little box with a stick propping it up <laughs> and mm-hmm. a string. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm really, like, I'm so on, glad I asked her. Come on. She also, she also had another story about some flowers that um, she had put onto the side um, and sh- someone else had brought them and they didn't have room to get rid of them. So they're like, here, you keep them. If you could throw them away from us, blah, blah, blah. So she was like, okay. And she put them onto this buffet just to get them out of the way. And then she thought, you know what? I'm going to put them on these end tables around the settee so that they'll look nice there. Yeah. A couple days right. later, she's like, oh, I should probably water those. She goes to water them and they're gone. <laughs> Never saw them. <laughs> Mrs. Bear no is like, idea where they I went. like these flowers. These flowers are for loose yeah, women. These- <laughs> maybe maybe that's what it is so yeah uh that's yeah, oh, cool um, so that was it it was good it was really nice though but there are a lot of places you can stay i highly recommend the bear house they their hospitality is exceptional the food was I wanna delicious go. I wanna go. we had such a nice time so if you're going through vicksburg and you need somewhere to stay it's a, it's also the halfway point from dallas i think to atlanta so it's a good it's a good stopping point. I'll remember that. I haven't it's done like a five hours. Last time I've done a bed and breakfast was a Garnish House in Cork, Ireland, with you oh, and so Brandon, good. which is really nice. Yeah. It's not the like it, it's it's more of a you know the, it wasn't as fancy like the rooms weren't as fancy, but the breakfast oh worth it. And if yeah. there were any ghosts, uh. there was no room for them, so we didn't see any. Um, no, yeah, <laughs> these rooms are nice and big. That's what I want. I want a nice big like. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I want a mansion. That's just a thing. There's elbow room. Elbow there's room. ceiling room. Oh, I love yeah, it. Yeah, it's really Any nice. room that it's makes really me feel nice. small, I, 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 I want to be a part of. I was telling, before I went, and we were talking about this, I was, t- for listeners, I was telling Michael that we need to get, like, a van. I totally get now why my grandparents had this big <laughs> van, because their friends would go stay places. I was like, we could get a Google Intentions van. It'll be like, it'll be like the mystery machine. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yes. That's right. Oh, my God. We can, sit, we can play cards on the oh way. Oh, my God, yes. Uh, yeah, so anyway. <laughs> okay, so let we, but we can get into this, the uh the show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, so so we should kind of like preface this by saying, so that's that's all the ghosts you're going to get this episode um, for the most right. part because we decided to swerve a little maybe. bit today. Well, maybe. Because um, we decided to yeah. swerve a little bit uh, today and focus on uh, a different area of paranormal concern. What's our that's right. What's our title today, Jamie? And what's the rationale of our title? Well, our title is, um, uh, it's No Names... And no fingerprints. <laughs> and that, uh, ladies and gentlemen, comes from the lyrics to Men in Black. <laughs> God, you really tortured that out. You were like, and it comes from 
<laughs> Where does it come from? Where does it come from? Uh, <laughs> the lyrics to Men in Black. Here come the Men in Black. So Jamie is going to start us off today about. with with. Uh, <laughs> 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 it turns out we're going to be talking about a very different Men in Black. They're nothing like the movie. Um, yeah, they're not the good not guys. Not at all. A lot of the lyrics are about them being the good guys. Yeah, that is not. Yeah, the that truth. movie so, was, took some creative license with the mythology. Let us just say. Yeah. But so Jamie's going to start and us. Off with some, what were you doing? You're doing like a list of. So, yeah. So, okay. So, we know that the men in black are usually, it's a, it's a lot of supernatural. It's a lot. A lot more than I was expecting. When I got into this research, I right. went down this, like, this total fucking rabbit hole and was like, holy shit. Okay. I, there were, okay. The whole yeah. idea of the, 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 of them being government agents is just the tip of the iceberg. Of <laughs> a right. very, so very weird iceberg. A lot of where we know, right, <laughs> I, iceberg. Um, eyes inside of triangles. I just, <laughs> I just see like a glacier that's made out of eyeballs, and I don't like it. I feel like we could find artwork like somewhere it. on Tumblr. Uh, so, okay. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> I thought it's important. A lot of times, men in black are associated with UFOs yes. specifically. Yes. That's where we hear it the most. Especially in the modern era. Um, yeah, in the modern era. So what I wanted to talk about are some of the important UFO sightings. Like the, like the, it's not all like of the them, true landmark. Ones are, yeah, some big landmark nice. ones, some impactful ones that are important to know if you are talking about aliens or evidence and stuff yep, like that. Yeah. Okay. So, oh, please. And then so I will go into the history of the men in black and which is long and just to just for uh, just to give you guys a heads up the men in black thing is going to be at least two parts at least that's right so this is today that's is only right. going to be part one uno but but mine's a mine's a whole list of like seven things okay <laughs> <laughs> one entire list of not everything so that's what i'm going for uh to, just to get us in the mood okay so of course my references are wikipedia <laughs> Ding, ding, number one. Ding, 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 ding. Um, and then actually everything I got, uh, I took from history.com. Nice. Several articles uh, written by Christopher Klein, Stephanie Waldeck, and Robert Shapiro. So these are my, nice. my uh, important UFO sightings. Number one, America's very first UFO uh, sighting. Uh, 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 uh. Do you know when this I was? I do. Okay. 1947? Nope. No? <gasps> what? Maybe. Oh, John, wait. You're going back. This is you're way, way back. back. Okay, sorry. See, I think back. of, I think of yeah. okay, sorry. Go on. Go on. Not modern. Not modern. Uh, John Winthrop led the first large wave of colonizers from England in 1630 and served as a governor of the Massachusetts Bay Colony for 12 of its first 20 years. He kept a diary or a journal, depending, uh, where he recorded <laughs> triumphs and trials, just some important things that occurred with his fellow Puritans mm, mm. Um, as they're, you know, making their new life in America. As you do. Well, on March 1st of 1639, he recounted an event that had unsettled the English settlers. <laughs> See what I we're, mean now the, like we're now the unsettlers. They were unsettled settlers. Uh, so Winthrop wrote that earlier in the year, James Everill, a, quote, a sober and discreet man, and two others had been rowing a boat in the muddy river 
which flowed through swampland and emptied into a tidal basin in the Charles River, when they saw a great light in the night sky, where when it stood still, it flamed up and was about three yards square, the governor reported. Hmm. When it ran, it was contracted into the figure of a swine. Yeah. That's so, man, and oh, yeah, we'll talk about that. Like, UFOs tend to okay. take on the, the the prevailing, like, it's, I don't know, like, we, our minds make sense of it in different ways, and so we kind of dress it up depending on our culture and our, um, you yeah. know, our, our... I mean, it's like if you look at a cloud, you're like, oh, that looks like a dinosaur, exactly. or oh, that looks like, it usually looks like a reference that you are commonly and that's not to And that's not to it. discount all the sightings. It's just to say that, yeah. hey, that cloud is still fucking weird and shouldn't be there. <laughs> mm-hmm. But we see what right. we see. So uh, over the course of two to three hours, the boatman said that the mysterious light ran as swift as an arrow, darting back and forth between them and the village of Charlestown, a distance of approximately two miles. Winthrop added, diverse other credible persons saw the same light after about the same place. The governor wrote that when the strange apparition finally faded away, three the three Puritans in the boat were stunned to find themselves one mile upstream, as if the light had transported them there. Oh. These men had no memory of their rowing against the tide, although it's possible they could have been carried by the wind or a reverse tidal flow. The mysterious repositioning of the boat could suggest that they were unaware of a part of their experience. Some researchers would interpret this as a possible alien abduction if it happened today. Mm. Writes mm. Jacques Vallée. Oh, Jacques Vallée, yes. Aubeck, and, I love uh, that guy. Chris Aubeck in Wonders of the Sky, Unexplained Aerial Objects oh, from Antiquity to Modern yes. Times. It's been speculated that the lights could have simply been an ignis fatus, which is a pale light that can, it's a fart. It's a gassy fart. <laughs> it's, um, it's, a, it's a pale it's a light that can sometimes fart. appear it's a cosmic fart. It appears over marshland at night due to the combustion of gas from decomposing organic mm-hmm. matter. That's where they think a lot of, um, uh, what are they will called? Will-o'-the-wisps. Celtic. Will-o'-the-wisp, mm-hmm. yeah. Or will-o'-the-wisps are. Mm-hmm. Or they think that sometimes that's what Swamp they are. Swamp gas. Uh, however, according to the report, the light was not rising from the swamp, but shooting across the sky. So maybe not the gas so much. Yeah. Five years later... A similar site returned to Boston. In Winthrop's journal, he documented on January 18th, 1644, the following, quote, About midnight, three men coming in a boat to Boston saw two lights arise out of the water near the north point of the town cove, in form like a man, and went at a small distance to the town and so to the south point, and there vanished away. End quote. A week later, he added another strange event that had been witnessed over Boston Harbor, Quote, a light like the moon arose about the northeast point in Boston and met the former at Nottles Island, and there they closed in one and then parted and closed and parted diverse times, and so went over the hill in the island and vanished. Sometimes they shot out flames and sometimes sparkles. This was about eight o'clock in the evening and was seen by many. About the same time, a voice was heard upon the water between Boston and Dorchester, calling out in a most dreadful manner, Boy, boy, come away, come away! And it suddenly shifted from one place to another a great distance, about 20 times. It was heard by diverse godly persons. Remember, they're Puritans. About 14 days (laughs) after, the same voice— He's godly. He's sober. 
He's so, he's very godly, very godly. About 14 days after, the same voice in the same dreadful manner was heard by others on the other side of the town towards Nottles Island. Okay, so this time there was a reasonable explanation for the luminescence over the city. And I love this. <laughs> the governor noted that the bizarre spectacle was seen near the location where a vessel captained by John Chaddock had exploded months earlier after a sailor accidentally ignited gunpowder aboard the ship. Oops. Chaddock had not been aboard at the time, but the blast killed five crew members. Winthrop noted that the rescuers had recovered the bodies of all the victims except for the man believed responsible for the calamity, a sailor who's prof who professed the ability to communicate with the dead and who was suspected of murdering his master in Virginia. Mm. The hand of the devil was thought to have taken possession of the body, and it was a haunting the haunting voice of the sailor's ghost that was said to have accompanied the strange vis vision. So it wasn't a UFO. <laughs> it was a ghost. <laughs> I love that. I can <laughs> I, I like, love yeah. That's just kind of a mark of the time, too. And similar to our mm -hmm. own, it's like, that's, no, don't be insane. It's not aliens. Clearly, there's a rational it's, explanation. It's, it's a ghost. Perfe perfectly explainable. <laughs> mm -hmm. But that goes to show how just yeah. weird and trickster-like all these phenomena are. Like, they admit of so many mm -hmm. interpretations, except the rational one, that, you know, like, there's no way to not, there's no way to kind of turn them around in your head without considering, like, Maybe, mm -hmm. maybe what we see on a day-to-day -day basis is just a tiny fraction of reality that our little brains just can't comprehend the whole picture. And so every now and again, the veil is yeah. pierced and we're like, oh, uh, I don't know. Look like a tiger to me. Someone else is like, see, yeah, I saw right. a ship. Like, <laughs> Right, yeah. So, okay, so then we speed forward to more modern times, mm, yes. which is still 80, you know, years ago. Uh, 90 years ago. So, okay, Kenneth Arnold yes, yes, is yes, our yes, next yes, one yes, yes, yes. in 1947. Yes. Okay, the origin of today's fascination can be traced back to civilian pilot uh -huh, uh -huh, uh -huh. Kenneth Arnold. While fi flying his small aircraft near Washington's Mount Rainier on June 24th, 1947, so like a couple of weeks, the anniversary is in a I know. Arnold claimed to have seen nine blue glowing objects flying fast at an estimated 1,700 miles per hour in a V formation. That's fast. He first believed the objects to be some sort of new military aircraft. This was only two years after World War II ended and the first year of the Cold War yep. started. Yep. Right. So this is an intense time. Mm -hmm. But the military confirmed there were no tests being conducted near Mount Rainier that day. Arnold described the craft's motion as similar to a saucer if you skip it across water. The media picked up on the phrase, and that is where we get flying yep. saucer. Soon, other reports of a group of nine UFOs cropped up across the region, including sightings by a prospector on Mount Adams and the crew of a commercial flight in Idaho. The government never offered a credible explanation for the sightings either. It simply claimed Arnold had seen a mirage or was hallucinating. Right. But by then, it's too late to spin anything, especially after it happens to other people. Um, people wanted to know more. They wanted to know more about UFOs, and considering the Roswell sightings occurred only a few weeks later, mm -hmm. UFO mania was about to go yep. to 11. Oh, yes. That brings us to Roswell, yeah. also 1947. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So everyone knows Roswell is connected to aliens, UFOs, you name it. But what's the story? Well, I know it. I, I... Because I had to research <laughs> it for Hikaya. <laughs> 
<laughs> like I knew of it. Oh yeah. But I didn't know about See, the I've farmer. Known, I thought... I've known these stories since I was a kid because my dad was super into UFOs. I love that your dad was into UFOs super. and your mom collected gravestones. No fucking wonder. I know. But it's funny. Way. My dad's a total <laughs> atheist, doesn't believe in anything, thinks ghosts are fucking stupid. But like UFOs, mm-hmm. he's like, now that... That. That's, that's real. That's Which I'm kind of, I get it. Like, yeah. I get it. I think I'm fascinated by them, but that's, you know, because I maybe have had my own experiences. But we'll get to that. I don't mean to. Mm. Yes. Go on. Go on. Okay. So in the summer of 1947, rancher William Mac Brazil, 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 Brazil. We'll Brazil. Brazil. That's the Texas Mac de Brazil. Uh, Mac Brazil discovered <laughs> mysterious debris in one of his New Mexico pastures, including metallic rods, chunks of plastic, and unusual papery scraps. Mac reported the wreckage like a good goddamn American. <laughs> Soldiers from the nearby Roswell Army Air Force Base dutifully came to retrieve the materials. The military reported the debris was from a downed weather balloon, but the news had already written their headlines that the debris was from a downed falling saucer, mm. flying saucer. Fallen flying Flying and then falling saucer. Flying flying and then falling saucer. Um, (laughs) A UFO. (laughs) So ever since, conspiracy theorists have been hard at work trying to prove the wreckage was extraterrestrial, with one man, Ray Santilli, going so far as to uh, release a video in 1995 of an alien dissection purported to have taken place after the incident. Now, I remember when this came out, too. Santilli would admit later in 2006 that it was a staged film, but he maintained it was based on actual footage. So, as it turns out, the government was indeed covering something up, but it wasn't aliens. The crashed weather balloon was, in fact, part of a top-secret military endeavor called Project Mogul, which launched high-altitude balloons carrying equipment used to detect Soviet nuclear tests. Mm -hmm. The Air Force provided plenty of proof in a 231-page report released in 1997 called Case Closed, Final Report on the Roswell Crash. Though the mystery has been thoroughly debunked, interest in the case has only grown, and Roswell's tourism is heavily based around its famous so-called UFO sighting. The town is home to the International UFO Museum and Research Center, a spaceship-shaped McDonald's, (laughs) and an annual UFO festival held each summer. Yep. Yep. Moving on to the UK. We're going to travel a little bit. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. There's some good ones there. So we have the Rendlesham Forest yes. in 1980. That's such a great... Oh, De- yeah, sorry. I'm so excited. I'm such a fanboy for this stuff. I really am. <laughs> in December 1980, U.S. Air Force members stationed at two British Royal Air Force bases, mm-hmm. Woodbridge and Bentwaters, reported seeing strange, colorful lights above Rendlesham Forest, about 100 miles northeast of London. One man who entered the forest to investigate claims to have discovered some sort of spacecraft there. And the next day, others confirmed damage to nearby trees and a higher than normal (coughs) level of radiation at the site. Uh Several days later, more sightings were reported. Lieutenant Colonel Charles Halt recorded his observation on an audio tape as he watched the lights. And while not definitive proof, theorists consider this the strongest evidence of the events. In the end, the UK's Ministry of Defense found no credible threat to the nation, so they chose not to investigate the sighting. Much like Roswell, UFO tourism is a big deal in Rendlesham Forest, and there's even an official Rendlesham UFO trail that visitors can hike where a model of the reported spacecraft has been recreated. It's a really good story. Like we'll have to, we'll have to like yeah. one point. Like I might do like a a, a lengthy break down these breakdown more. thing because the Rendlesham Forest one is one of the best examples of like. 
that's like Roswell, but it's probably real, whereas Roswell isn't. Right. Roswell isn't. Yeah. yeah this one's probably yeah. It is their Roswell, but with actual. But with like, yeah, it's. Reports. Yeah. 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 Mm, mm, yeah. Mm. And it's seeing stuff instead of finding. Yeah. Seeing metal stuff. And the witnesses yeah. are highly credible and from multiple different backgrounds. And there was no, like, it's just unusual for them to have. Everything about it, the, the the Ministry of Defense's response to it, the, the witnesses, mm-hmm. everything else. Like, there's. There I love some... the Ministry of Defense's response. Is like, I mean, it's not going to hurt us, so I don't care. Yeah, they're like, I mean, <laughs> was... what are we going to do? I think their response was like, was if fine. it is a UFO, we have no fucking clue what to do. So we're just going to pretend. Right. So we're just going gonna... to pretend that this was just a weird little a fluke and it's not going to happen again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, okay, then we have the Belgian wave, 1989 yep. to 1990. Yep, yep, yep. At the end of November 1989, citizens of Belgium reported seeing a large triangular UFO hovering in the sky. But beyond the visual sightings, no evidence was found of any UFO's existence. A few months later, in March 1990, new sightings of multiple objects were reported, confirmed by two military ground radar stations. Two F-16 fighter jets were sent out to investigate the anomalies, and though the pilots could not see anything visually, they were able to lock onto their targets with radar. But the UFOs moved so fast that the pilots ended up losing them. Hmm. Some 13,500 people are estimated to have witnessed yeah. this incident, yeah. making it one of the most widely experienced UFO sightings of the modern mm-hmm. era. The Belgian Air Force had no logical explanation for the activity, but it acknowledged that an unknown activity had taken place in the air. Again, the Belgians reached out to the UK's Ministry of Defense to investigate further, but once they determined that the incident was not hostile or aggressive, they stopped the investigation. Yeah, there's some point where these official investigative bodies have to go, we don't, there's nowhere to go with this, so we just have to be like, case closed as far as we're concerned. (laughs) Or we're going to report that the case is closed and actually Mm -hmm. secretly investigate it with a different company that nobody knows about until this past year. Ah, right. (laughs) Um, A few years ago. So uh, in 2004... You have the USS Nimitz, Nimitz mm. encounter, mm-hmm. N-I-M-I-T-Z. I think, I think it's Nimitz. pronounced Nimitz, I think. Nimitz. But I'm not sure. This is, okay, this is one of the videos that's available. Mm-hmm. You can hear, you can see it and hear it. Okay, so first you've got the USS Princeton. That was a part of the USS Nimitz carrier strike group. That's why it's known as the Nimitz encounter. But uh, the USS Princeton was the aircraft carrier actually involved. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So... On November 14th, 2004, the USS Princeton noted an unknown craft radar 100 miles off the coast of San Diego. For two weeks, the crew had been tracking objects that appeared at 80,000 feet and then plummeted to hover right above the Pacific Ocean. When two FA-18F fighter jets from the aircraft carrier Nimitz arrived in the area, they first saw what appeared to be churning water with the shadow of an oval shape underneath the surface. Then, in a few moments, a white tic-tac-shaped object appeared above the water. It had no visible markings to indicate an engine, wings, or windows, and infrared monitors did not reveal any exhaust. Black Aces Commander David Fravor and Lieutenant Commander Jim Slate of Strike Fighter Squadron 41... Strike Fighter Squadron 41. It's It's a cover band. It's a cover band for Led Zeppelin. Right. But they only do some 41 songs. They do it in a Led Zeppelin style. 
Uh, <laughs> okay. So they attempted to intercept the craft, but it accelerated away, reappearing on radar 60 miles away. Ugh. It moved three times the speed of sound and more than twice the speed of the fighter jets. Then we go into I love it. I love it. The next I love video, this shit so much. The East Coast Go Fast video. So this is a video that was leaked in 2017 along with the news of the Advanced Aviation Threat Identification Program. Mm-hmm. It was a video that revealed an encounter between an FA-18 Super Hornet and an unidentified flying vehicle because that's what they say now. They say vehicle instead of object. <laughs> they don't they don't want to be a UFO. It's a it's a UFV. So if you hear UFV, it's a UFO. But they're like it's, I mean we I guess we could say it's a vehicle. Eh, somebody's probably riding in it. Okay. <laughs> so seen along the east coast on a Raytheon advanced targeting forward looking infrared pod. Let me say that again. <laughs> Raytheon. Raytheon's a company. Yeah, Raytheon. Yeah. Advanced targeting forward looking Infrared pod. Okay. It's an ATFLIR. It's the latest an boutique Atfair. gift item for 2020. Right. You can get it on Sharper. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and just for an extra $100, you can have it uh, mm-hmm. in, uh, engraved. Sorry. Right. Uh, the craft was very much like that one seen by the USS Princeton, which was in 2004. Again, this is 2015. Mm-hmm. They saw a fast-moving white oval about 45 feet long without wings or um, exhaust. The pilots tracked the object at 25,000 feet above the Atlantic Ocean as it flew away and simultaneously rotated on its axis. No explanation ever emerged. So you have all the way from things that are completely debunked to things yeah. that happen currently. That was five years ago. There's stuff that has happened yeah. since then that they don't well, like know. Like the footage that came out just explain. a few weeks ago of the thing. Yeah, and that footage <clears throat> was, that actually yeah. was uh, released from the military right. of these other ones that have been leaked in 2017. Yeah. Hey, guess what? What? It's our one and only commercial. I love it's that. new. I love that we only have one commercial and it's for us. Yeah. It's new for June. So yes. this is for our Patreon. Uh, we're going to try to make this one shorter than last time. <laughs> <laughs> so we can get to the good uh, shit. So we can get to the good stuff. But uh, please join our Patreon. We appreciate everyone uh, who has already joined. If uh, you can, we appreciate any support so that we can remain commercial three free. <laughs> commercial free. <laughs> f- for free, free. for commercial the podcast. Free. So that means yeah. no commercials except for this one for the podcast. Um you guys really help us, and uh, we really, really appreciate it. We have a Discord that's available uh, depending upon the tier. You can go to patreon.com slash ghoulintentions to find out those different tiers. If you choose the Discord tier, we have two Discord chats per month. Yes. We'll have uh, – what days are those, Michael? Uh, this month, it'll be June 16th for the uh, Phantasms, Correct. Or no, for for no. that's uh, sorry. June sixteenth will be the all skate, <laughs> and uh, as we like to call it, where everyone on the Discord can can uh, come and ask us questions. And uh, the one for the Phantasmas will be June thirtieth. That's uh, both times will be at seven p.m. Central Standard Time. That's and, right, and uh, it should be a blast. 
It should be. So uh, if you want to join the Discord chat, you have to be on one of those Discord tiers. I think they start at $8, um, but you can join several different types of tiers. So go check that out. Please support us. We appreciate everybody who is so supportive. And don't forget to continue sending your stories to ghoulintentions.com on the menu. Thank you so much. Thank you. Which is just so. so something's going on, and that's not to say that there are, there aren't also like the hucksters and fucking humbugs in, in like there are in any crowd, but like clearly some shit's going on. Like there were the Mexico City sightings in the '90s, where mm-hmm. just about as many people as in the Belgian uh, flap uh, saw for weeks on end. Like it was a huge fucking thing, and like there's just right. it's there's clearly something going on, and no one really knows what it is yet like you know i don't and then mm-hmm. the whole the whole alien abduction thing that that kind of caught on as well and that's a rather extreme example of the route you can go when you look into these things and i'm not sure what i i think about the alien abductions for the most part i think they're probably explainable as psycho uh, psychologically but it's yeah. interesting how the, the the typical UFO experience and the and the your typical insofar as there's anything typical about it, uh, abduction experience, like they have sort of ancestors in ancient stories that like that 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 sort of that uh, that genre of human experience has been around for at least as long as recorded mm-hmm. history, but our explanations for it change. Like so, what are what are uh, what are considered among aficionados? alien abductions today were the fairy abductions of 200, 300 years ago or so on and so forth. You know, and it's just, it's, that's, you mentioned uh, the researcher Jacques Vallée, who was one of the, the big, uh, the big uh, dudes that like went into this going like, yeah, I think there's clearly something more going on that this, these, these aren't physical craft necessarily. There's, there's something else going on here. They're real, but not but not necessarily like the explanation isn't that they're aliens from another world just kind of, you know, joyriding uh, around Earth. It's something else. And I, that's what fascinates me is like my dad and I uh, had a lot of points of contention on this topic because my dad was the belief that they're <laughs> aliens and they're, made, they're coming here. He didn't really believe in abductions, but he definitely believed in UFOs and thought they were piloted craft. And, uh, and I'm like, I'm a little different. I think there's something else. I think there's something more ethereal yeah. about them. But... Uh, that gets me yeah, into knows, my subject. But... Shall I? Uh... That was a little introduction. Yes. So in talking about the men in black, I'm absolutely fucking convinced we're going to get a knock on our door. <laughs> <laughs> uh, It'll be my door. They'll knock on my door, not yeah, yours. Yeah, because our, our, they have to get past, past security in my building. But they can do that, apparently, without much of a problem. Um, so uh, there's a ton of sources, and, and I'm just going to mention the main ones. Uh, the first one being a book called The Real Men in Black by Nick Redfern, a casebook on the men in black by Jim Keith, They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers by Gary Barker, Flying Saucers <laughs> and the Three Men by Albert Bender, who we shall have a lot to say about in this particular segment, and Secret Rituals of the Men in Black by Alan Greenfield, whose name has come up before in our podcast when we were talking about the Kentucky Goblins and the underground stuff and the, the Hellier Kentucky story. Um, right, right. Of course, there's also a really great several-part episode on last po- last podcast on the left, so you guys go listen to that. Woo-hoo. They did it a couple of years ago, and I fucking loved it. And, of course, Wikipedia. So here we go. Strap in. It's going to get fucking weird and complicated. <laughs> if you want to stop me for questions at any point, Jamie, let me know, because this is so. there's so much to get through. It's kind of rapid fire. Okay. But just... 
Come with me for a moment. Take a journey. Let's let, go on let, a journey. I like that you go. changed your light in your booth. <laughs> well, I do it because I can better see the monitor when I turn my light on. <laughs> but for the listeners out there, it fine. just turns, as far as Jamie's concerned, it just turns me into a pale floating head in the midst of darkness, <laughs> which is kind of appropriate. So... <clears throat> Suppose you're a UFO enthusiast, <clears throat> um, maybe even a full-fledged <laughs> ufologist, as members of the the more serious members of the community often prefer to be called. Would you call yourself a ufologist, uh, Michael? No, but I'm getting there. Uh, <laughs> okay. Maybe in a, like if I had more expertise. Yeah, you, it has to be ufologist because now it's vehicle. It would be a UFO. I feel like maybe the the tendency to call to call it UFVs now is just to kind of take the wind out of the sails of the ufologists. Like, yeah, what are you going to call yeah. yourself now, fuck ups? I feel like there's so much there's so much infighting. Um, anyways, yeah. it was perhaps a yellowing dog-eared copy of the Mothman Prophecies by John Keel stumbled upon at half price books pushed you down the rabbit hole, or it could be a personal experience sparked your interest in this most beleaguered and controversial of fields, like. <laughs> Did I ever tell you my parents had a? You did. Remind thing? me though. Okay, so and this was included my dad, and my dad is a scientist guy. He had he had a degree in like chemistry and shit. Like he was like hard science. He was very he was religious, but he was also very scientifically minded. Okay. And so uh, he was kind of like Jack, and that's weird. Like mm, that was weird in things <laughs> that would happen when we were growing up. <laughs> But he told this story, too, and to hear him talk about it, I was like, oh, shit, you know what I mean? So um, he, they were driving home, and we lived out in the country, and as they drove, there was this cylindrical, like, not cylindrical, a, 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 a flat, round thing floating in the air about 100 feet wow, in the air. Holy shit. And it was, it was at an intersection, my mom was driving and my dad got out, like was hanging out of the window, which I could totally picture him doing, to see if he could hear anything. They couldn't wow. hear anything. He was kind of waving his arm around because they were under it to see if there was anything holding it up. Mm. Um, there was nothing. It had different light colors ah, so that were kind of rotating that's so around it. And and he had no idea what it was. And my mom, and then he got out of the car and my mom was yelling at him to get in the car because she didn't know what it was. <laughs> She's like, get back in the car. But it was floating a hundred feet and he, it was big. And they, t I mean, See, and, he and would that, tell oh, that I'm story. So so was, I, my own experience is not that dramatic. Um, I've known people that yeah, had it was some pretty dramatic. Uh, people that I knew and trusted uh, who had some pretty dramatic experiences, but uh, I'll save that for another podcast. My own was, you know, I was walking my dog uh, when I was a teenager, and our neighborhood was one of those, like, country suburbs, so it was kind of in the middle of nowhere, but kind of self-contained, little mm -hmm. town. And uh, so we had a pretty good view of the night sky at the time because there wasn't a lot of light pollution. And uh, I was walking my dog, Lady, my Cocker Spaniel, and uh, mm. I just happened to look up, and I saw this weird uh, contrail. It was like a luminous contrail. Uh, which is not unusual to see. Um, but at the head of it, there was like this weird kind of glowing red light that was surrounded by like a little circle. Uh, not like a little, like, but clearly a very big circle. So it almost, I was like, what the fuck is that? That doesn't look like a plane, but maybe it's some optical illusion. And then it, I, I, I'm watching it going and it's going at a pretty good clip. I can't tell how far away it is, but it's clearly way, way up there. And I'm thinking to myself, well, clearly yeah. that's a plane and there's just some optical illusion in the atmosphere that's giving it that halo effect around the head. But then it went behind the fucking moon. And I was Oof. like, oh, oh, 
okay. That's and then it just natural. disappeared. Like it went behind the moon and I didn't see it emerge. So I was like, oh, okay. And, and you know, so <laughs> I've been looking for answers yeah. ever since, or at least validation that I'm not completely out of my fucking mind. Now, right. suppose further, Jamie, that you join a homespun UFO research group that shares in your curiosity. Lord knows there's no fucking shortage of them. Odds are before long, you'll extend the scope of your interests to include things like missing time, shadow people, cattle mutilations, government cover-up, shapeshifters, time travel, cryptozoology, alien abductions, blah, 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 the fucking works. The fact is, it's very difficult to avoid overlap in the pursuit of all things Fortean. One phenomenon inevitably brings you to at least a dozen others, each weirder and more contentious than the next. Side note, incidentally, the name Fortean means relating to or denoting paranormal phenomenon, and it comes from a gentleman more than worthy of note for our podcast. Charles Fort, Charles Hoy Fort, the full name, was a frustrated mm -hmm. fiction writer from turn-of-the-century Albany, New York, who gave his talents over to cataloging anomalies generally scoffed at by the scientific community of his day, things that cast the prevailing zeitgeist of progress and logic into rather serious doubt. Things like strange aerial lights, animals raining down from the sky like Old Testament plagues, psychokinetic abilities, spontaneous <laughs> human combustion. These are just to name a few. His body of work, which are some massive tomes, like one of them is called Low, another is called The Book of the Damned, represent a smorgasbord of oddities and marvels going back millennia, and they paved the way for all who followed in his footsteps. Fort was, in effect, a gadfly to the rational-minded status quo. What the Dadaists and Surrealists were trying to do in the art world, Charles Fort was going full on trying to do with the highfalutin white coats of his day, like literally dogging them with reams of inconven inconvenient data that they'd just be like, oh, no, it's swamp gas. Um, <laughs> and it was really funny. It's like he, he pissed so many people off by being like, but what about this? But what about that? I mean, cool theory, bro. But what about this? Like, it was, it was great. Um, his work not only inspired generations of sci-fi writers, he, for example, coined the term teleportation, it single-handedly birthed oh. the field of modern paranormal research. And these days, true to Charles Fort's consummate trickster spirit, and we shall have to do an episode about him because he's one of my favorite weird people, um, the study, <laughs> <laughs> the study of things like UFOs inevitably bleeds over into the study of aliens, into the study of inexplicable weather patterns, esoteric philosophies, psychic ability, blah, 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 blah. I mean, down and down and down it goes, as Jamie and I well know. Piercing the veil mm -hmm. of... <laughs> and anime and video games. <laughs> yes. Piercing the veil of one strange incident that tests the limits of belief will almost always lead you, if you're willing to go there, to a whole secret history of human experience, a confrontation with all the ideas and belief systems quote-unquote uh, respectable society has long cast off. It's utterly daft. It's also uh, a lot of fun. <laughs> but the fringe isn't just staunchly resistant to established categories. It looms in manifest opposition to the very notion of established categories, which means, as far as being a seeker in this field is concerned, in for a penny, in for a pound. Take that left turn, and sooner or later you are on the double-decker expressway to high strangeness. Trust me. It's not always easy to know where to draw the line when looking into this kind of stuff. That said, there are, as it happens, some notable benchmarks along the way to help indicate something mm. like progress. Not all of these benchmarks 
are pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> Among Fortians, a visit from the dreaded men in black, or MIBs for short, has become something of a well-worn trope, even a badge of honor, despite there being little agreement as to what exactly the men in black are. Theories range from government agents to evil thought forms engaged in spiritual warfare <laughs> and just about every goddamn thing in between. Evil thought forms, man, Tulpas. that's and a band. And we will get into it. Um, fortunately for our purposes, there is at least some uniformity in what the men in black are said to do. Indeed, their modus operandi appears as consistent as their attire. Well, you know the drill. Mm -hmm. Some conspiracy nut on the brink of a major breakthrough gets a knock at the door in the dead of night. Three pale, cadaverous gentlemen stand on the threshold. They wear Homburg hats, wrap around sunglasses, loafers, thin neckties, every thread black except for the crisp white shirts beneath. And before our protagonist can say a word, the mysterious trio has pushed its way inside, makes it- Are you gonna talk about their Botox face? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and they make it evident They've been watching. They've been watching, and they don't like what they see. Cease and desist all questions or suffer the consequences, they say in so many words. If the protagonist bristles at this command, the men in black make some shocking display of power that settles the issue right then and there. They, it is clear, can inflict harm however and whenever they want. This visit is just a courtesy. The menacing black-clad troika with weird Botox faces <laughs> then slips Yay! out into the night like ghosts, leaving the protagonist deeply unsettled and questioning whether or not it's time to throw in the towel. And like, let's just, I just want to That's pause. just kind of the general just... narrative of the Men in Black experience. Yeah. I want to talk about their faces. I want to go back to their Botox faces. Uh -huh. If you've seen any of the pictures, <laughs> that's not... It's not just a little, like, Botox is fine. No judgment if you're doing some Botox. Hey, now, we all got to do what we got to do. If you are going to put so much in your face that you can no longer move it, and I know a couple of people who have done this, <laughs> and I don't recommend it. Um, it looks so uncomfortable. It does. It looks uncomfortable, but they can't move their faces. Mm, mm, and mm. Uh, that, can you imagine a trio of people that are not on, like, some, you know, Desperate Housewives type show, I, reality show that are just in your house doing that. I once, <laughs> I once was I was Christmas shopping or decoration shopping, and uh, was at this like warehouse which is yeah, well known for being like let's say a lot of Karens shop there, and uh, mm -hmm. I happened to overhear and see one such Karen who was having a fit about some damn detail who God only knows and. Poor thing had so much Botox in her face. And she was an older woman. I mean, she was probably in her 60s or 70s even. But she had so much Botox in her face that she looked like the elf on the shelf she was bitching about. It was <laughs> kind of perfect. And I thought, oh, my God. Like, I couldn't take her anger seriously because she was still smiling <laughs> despite herself. Right. I was like, oh, it's so uncanny. But it is. That's a, it's th that, that uncanny valley. Where your smile <clears throat> and your smile and your frown look the same because it doesn't go up or down. It just goes back. Yeah. Yeah. And your, eyes, just, back. And and your like, eyes are so, like, bobbed out of your head because your face is so pulled back that you just look terrified. Right. Um, yeah. And that's, that's a combination of Botox and over... Facelifting. Yeah. So that it's that that's that thing where possibly you can't close your eyes all the way. Oh God. Have you ever seen anybody oh, like yes. that? It's like and then like their their lid turns almost inside out at the bottom, uh, and then like uh, and then their like their their hairline is pulled oh, back. God, I don't understand Have you ever seen anybody it. who has like a beard yeah. beard line behind their <laughs> ear? That's awkward. <laughs> 
just, you know, everything in moderation, folks. Everything in moderation. Anyway, moving on. Okay, sorry. (laughs) I just, the idea of three of those types of people in one, in my space. Yeah, one is is quite enough. Um, Yeah, that's plenty. That's more than enough. Let's not even have one. The the men in black (laughs) story is familiar to anyone who's flipped through the splashly titled pages of some uh, book on UFOs from the 50s, especially. That was the time. Um, And they've even made a few appearances on this podcast here and there. You know, listeners may recall mm-hmm. Mary Heyer, the hard-nosed small-town journalist from Point Pleasant, uh, West Virginia, so instrumental to John Keel's foray into Mothman territory circa 1967. I picture Mary Heyer to be someone a lot like you. Like, their re- her relationship to John Keel is probably a lot like ours. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, yeah. I love this woman. She was, she used to write... Um, just to kind of recap it, she used to write uh, 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 an article or a, uh, uh, an editorial piece called Where the Rivers Meet. And when in the, the beginning of 66, 67, uh, all this this huge UFO flat, UFO flat was going on even before the Mothman sighting started, she was cataloging the shit out of them. And of course, that brought her to John Keel's attention and she became kind of a fellow investigator with him in Point Pleasant. And so her story is fascinating. A lot of, she was just cool. And she took no shit from anyone. Um, Keel relates <laughs> Mary Heyer's encounter with the men in black in detail. One evening, a bizarre little man in an ill-fitting black suit waddled into Mary Heyer's office and awkwardly probed her for information about the recent uh, UFO flap she'd been collecting data on. The man's complexion was odd. His mannerisms stilted. He struggled to speak in full sentences and kept circling back to the same dead-end talking points. Mary indulged the stranger, because she'd never seen him before, and Mary fucking knew everyone in Point Pleasant, for a while, but eventually made it clear he needed to buzz off. Before leaving, he became fixated on a ballpoint pen on Mary's desk and asked if he could have it. Mary sighed and relented, anything to be rid of this nuisance. The visitor grabbed the pen, cackled maniacally, and rushed out like his life fucking depended on it. Mary shook her head and went back to work, but couldn't quite shake the feeling that this encounter had been something of a veiled threat. In fact, at one point, he had asked her, what would you do if someone told you to stop looking into UFOs? And her response had been a characteristic, tell them to go to hell. Um... (laughs) But the same bizarre little man harassed multiple witnesses throughout Point Pleasant over the next few months, and he wasn't alone. A wave of oddballs with similar distinguishing characteristics made life a veritable hell for anyone unlucky enough to have been involved. All wore ill-fitting black suits, all uh, spoke haltingly with robotic, unidentifiable accents, all made perfectly mundane requests of the interviewees, uh, like, say, asking for a glass of water or something, and then they would respond too dramatically when the request was met. Um, one guy took a glass of water and gulped it down like he was dying and was so, like, it was crazy. And it just hit, the, the need for the glass of water apparently just hit him out of nowhere. He was in the middle of a perfectly calm, monotone sentence and suddenly was like, do you have a glass of water? <laughs> and it's like, and they gave him one and he was like, glug, 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 and his complexion changed. It was cr- fucking crazy. Um, well, maybe he was choking in his defense. I don't mean- have you ever had that feeling where you're like, I'm about to choke? On nothing, because, you know, sometimes your body's just like, yeah, it's time for you to cough uncontrollably for about 15 minutes I, if you don't get some water. I, have you ever had that? No, but I'm sure I'll have it now. Thank oh, it's you. the worst. <laughs> it's the worst. And then you're like, I, if I just have some water, then I won't cough my guts up. 
I mean, I've I've been there. I've won, I've wanted to cough my yeah. guts up after eating something and be like, oh, I need water, but yeah, you know, it just goes down the wrong pipe. My body doesn't just spontaneously make me feel like I'm choking yet. I'm sure it will. Thanks, Jamie. Um, yeah, you're welcome. Some of these men in black showed up on the doorstep of folks living in the middle of nowhere whose connection to the strangeness in Point Pleasant hadn't been made public. And what's more, these visitors often arrive to these middle of nowhere homes without any apparent mode of transport except foot. Now, I refer our listeners to episode 28 for more details about that. But by the time the good citizens of Point Pleasant were realizing that their dubious claim to fame, Mothman was also opening the floodgates to all manner of troubling confrontations, MIBs had been a staple of the UFO experience for years. Properly speaking, the MIB phenomenon, at least in connection to UFO sightings, begins with a peculiar young man named Albert Bender. When I was reading about him, I couldn't help think of Bender from Futurama, and it made me laugh. Right, yeah. Um, raised Protestant in Duryea, Pennsylvania. I hope I'm saying that right. D-U-R-Y-E-A. Uh, Albert Bender served as a dental technician in World War II and afterward moved in with his stepfather, eking out a living as a humble factory clerk. For Bender, writes Nick Redfern in his book, The Real Men in Black, it all began with excitement and intrigue but his story ultimately became dominated by horror, paranoia, and ill health, leaving behind a trio of cold-hearted, darkly-dressed figures that have systematically, mentally tortured whole swaths of the population since. Now, Love it. <clears throat> it's not fair to label Albert Bender antisocial, though you may be tempted to think that about him when I tell you what I'm about to tell you. Um, but it, his interests certainly did set him apart. He, a marked fascination with the paranormal began in childhood, kicking into high gear when... On December 5th, 1945, a squadron of Avenger-class aircraft from the Naval Station, uh, uh, Naval Air Station in Fort Lauderdale uh, vanished over the Bermuda Triangle, as did several uh, flights and boats that went looking for them. Now, the disappearance piqued the 23-year-old military vet's curiosity. He began pouring through the works of our aforementioned Charles Fort. Uh, by the time aviator Kenneth Arnold reported his infamous UFO encounter near Mount Rainier on June 4, 1947, considered by many to be the starting point of the modern UFO craze, Bender was a confirmed fanatic. His stepfather's attic offers us some insight into Bender's personality. The room was, in effect, a shrine to the proto-Goth preoccupations. <laughs> um, <laughs> the man lived for Mary Shelley, uh, Bram Stoker, Edgar Allan Poe, and of course, the pantheon of classic universal horror movie monsters. He festooned the walls with gauche occult trappings and grotesque art. At one point, did he use words like festoon as well? You bet your because ass he sounds he did. a lot like you. Uh, exactly, exactly. <laughs> At one point, so proud was Bender of his collection, he planned on charging admission to give tours. He often referred to the attic as his chamber of horrors. And to all accounts, his stepfather was like, that's fucking cool. Um, <laughs> man, after my own, my, my own heart, I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Sounds like alas, it. Alas, quote, the life and times of Albert Bender were blighted by psychological issues as well, writes Redfern. He displayed clear symptoms of OCD. He had a specific set place for everything in his cherished attic and could immediately tell if anything was moved, even slightly outside of its strict, rigid confines, and would become highly irritated. Bender may have also been a fully paid-up hypochondriac. Although only a young man at the time his UFO interest began to develop, he lived in absolute illogical dread of developing some form of cancer, end quote. Before we get into Bender's experience with the men in black, here's a good place to touch upon his rather unsettling family history with the paranormal. 
As a child, one of Bender's cousins had been plagued by the horrifying specter of a woman in black. When another relative died of a brain aneurysm, the family attributed the sudden death to a vengeful spirit haunting a nearby cemetery. In other words, Redfern goes on to say, for much of the Bender clan, ghosts and things like that were basically central facets of everyday life. In 1952, obsessively cross-referencing the slew of UFO sightings making headlines across the country, Bender joined forces with like-minded pen pals all over the world and formed the IFSB, the International Flying Saucer Bureau, the first ever civilian UFO research group. Bender even published his own magazine, Space Review. Incredibly, writes Redfern, Bender, dwelling in the heart of a dark and shadowy occult-dominated attic in the home of his stepfather, achieved something that I am strongly inclined to suspect went far beyond his wildest dreams. The IFSB did not only blossom and bloom, it caught the attention of flying saucer disciples all across the planet. UFO reports poured into the IFSB, people eagerly clamored to become members, and Bender spent night after night faithfully answering letters reaching him by the sackload. For all that, despite having representatives as far away as Australia, the ISFB ground to a halt just a few months after its inception. The beginning of the end was, according to Bender, a simple phone call. On the night of July 30th, 1952, Bender took it upon himself to answer the house phone while his stepfather was out. No one spoke from the other end, but Bender felt certain someone was on the line, listening in eerie silence. All at once, Albert's vision began to swim. He got dizzy, and his head throbbed so intensely he was forced to lie down. Now, a few days later, ambling down the sidewalk on his way home from the movies, Bender felt positive someone was following him. Too swift to be spotted, naturally, the presence was nevertheless menacingly tangible. Bender picked up the pace, made it home, crept past his stepfather in the living room, made his way quietly up the stairs, and was shocked to see a strange glow coming from underneath the attic door. He burst through, hmm. and a small, shimmering object was floating in the middle of the room. A pungent smell of sulfur hung in the air. A surge of pain shot through Bender's optic nerve. He threw on the overhead light, and all at once the shimmering object vanished. The, mirror, uh, the minor disarray in the attic set off warning bells for Bender's OCD. Someone had clearly been rifling through his UFO files. Uh, he put this uncanny experience behind him as best he could by throwing himself into the day-to-day -day minutia of running the ISFB. Alas, all this shit was just getting started. A few weeks later, on a dark November night in 1952, while enjoying the latest sci-fi flick in a half-empty movie theater, Bender's skin prickled at the now all-too-familiar sensation of being watched. He looked around. Out of the corner of his eye, some vague human shape materialized in a nearby seat. Looking at the figure mm. full-on... Bender made out a tall, well-dressed man in all black whose eyes glowed like flashlight bulbs. All at once, Bender got sickeningly dizzy. He screwed his eyes tightly shut and waited for the nausea to pass. When he opened them again, the figure was gone. However, the sense of being watched remained so thick that Bender was forced to leave the theater midway through the film. This is more from Mr. Redfern. Uh, through the next few months, Bender's dizzy spells continued. Brief manifestations of dark-suited entities plagued his days and nights. Alarming outbreaks of poltergeist activity occurred in the attic. Brimstone-like odors proliferated, sometimes for days, and he began to develop intense migraine-like headaches. It was at the height of this mental and physical torment, midway through 1953, that three men dressed in black uh, treated Bender to the worst of all his varied visitations. Here come the I'm going to try not to the whole time, but... You're holding on. I'm so proud of you that you it took you this long Thank to you. get there. Um, 
Now, here we run into a bit of a problem with consistency. There are two versions of the Men in Black story that Bender uh, experienced. The more spectacular version appears in Bender's own book, Flying Saucers and the Three Men, which he published in 1962, some 11 or a decade almost after closing down the ISFB. But according to friend and fellow IFSB member Gary Barker, the experience was a bit more down to earth although just as unsettling. Between putting the kibosh on his beloved IFSB in 1953 and the publication of his book, Bender's story seemed to change drastically, at least as far as we know. The version told to Barker, described in his book, They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers, says Bender was simply, <laughs> simply, accosted by three black-suited <laughs> men who warned him off the for, uh, further research into the UFO phenomenon, and the implicit purpose had been to assess whether the IFSB was some kind of Soviet front, which, to be fair, at the time, was something the U.S. government uh, would have been worried about. Because with all the UFO flaps going on, the first thought of most uh, government officials would be like, is this the Soviets? Are they testing shit? What's going on? So anyone, right. and this was also at the time J. Edgar Hoover was still in charge of the FBI, and anyone that was different or nonconformist was considered a likely candidate to become a communist. <laughs> and so they started right. looking into these little homegrown UFO groups because they thought that's really weird. We need to keep an eye on it. So Barker's version of the story is that he said, Bender told me that these guys were basically FBI. But there's reason to doubt that Barker's version of the story is entirely accurate. Um, either way, the encounter shook Bender so badly that he shut down the IFSB at once, though he did add this tantalizing cliffhanger to the final issue of Space Review. Quote, we would like to print the full story, but because of the nature of the information, we are sorry that we have been advised in the negative. We advise those engaged in saucer work to please be very cautious, end quote. Now, it's worth noting here that apart from Barker, who we must take at his word, Bender declined to discuss his encounter with the MIB for nine years. For some reason, he told Barker everything. Now, and Barker's version of the story may well be colored by his own run-in with an actual FBI agent on August 28, 1953. The agent in question, who did show Barker his credentials, interrogated him for hours about the IFSB. According to the agent, a Florida man had suffered an epileptic fit and been admitted to St. Mary's Hospital in Palm Beach. On his person were found several ID cards from the IFSB, printed and mailed out by Bender himself. Barker hemmed and hawed, assuring the agent the organization was just an innocent network of UFO aficionados. Satisfied, the agent left. Barker fired off a letter to Bender immediately, which inspired, he said, Bender to open up to him about the MIB experience. Now, the version of Bender, uh, the version that Bender gives us in, uh, in Flying Saucers and the Three Men that was published almost 10 years later, goes like this. On a humid night in August 1953, Redfin writes, he was busy in the attic, where else? Hard at work on the October issue of Space Review when a strange feeling overcame him and the now familiar strong odor of brimstone saturated the room. A floorboard suddenly squeaked, which Bender immediately recognized as coming from an enclosed section of the attic adjacent to his own room. Bender opened the door and, to his complete and utter terror, was confronted by the very same glowing-eyed entity that had very nearly scared the life out of him months earlier, late at night, at the local cinema. The manifested man in black silently motioned Bender back into the confines of his room. He did as he was told. Bender could now see that two nearly identical figures had materialized and were following dutifully behind the first. Their clothes were black, their shoes were black, and even their Hamburg hats were black. All three were even wearing black gloves, as if to deliberately accentuate the unsettling MIB imagery even more. 
Slowly, step by step, they closed in on Bender, rather like huge spiders bearing down upon an unfortunate fly caught in some monstrous Lovecraftian web. The three men then <laughs> carefully formed a circle around Bender and placed their hands on his shoulders. Bender was suddenly rendered numb and passed out. <gasps> now here's where it gets really weird. <laughs> was he healed? Because it seems like maybe. Uh, Bender claims no. to have come to in a faraway subterranean layer below the icy surface of Antarctica. Yeah, you heard me. Miles beneath the frozen tundra, aliens, he said, plied him with all kinds of weird knowledge, from esoteric philosophy to the secrets of interdimensional tech. I won't try to spell it out here. Bender's copious tome is really crazy, and, and if you want to go read it yourself, do so. Just be prepared to have your eyes rolling a lot. Um, to give you an example, though, according to him, aliens come to Earth in search of a fuel source cultivated from seaweed. Yep. After chatting with these new friends, uh, Bender was transported back to his attic and given a stern warning by the men in black. Quote, you are charged to keep our secret. We do not wish to take extreme action, and you will find that you will often consider giving away some part of this information. When you get such thoughts, you will be reminded of the consequences by headaches, which will be unbearable to you. At such times, beware of more serious conditions we can bring about. Insane as it sounds, <laughs> and it is insane, <laughs> there's actual some evidence to suggest Bender isn't just making shit up. There may even be the tiniest grain of truth to the more elaborate version of this story, dolled up though it is with absurd details from some half-remembered fever dream. Now, the symptoms attending Bender's experiences, visual distortions, dizziness, smells, strange lights, are consistent with migraine and some forms of epilepsy. The poltergeist activity, if we take it at face value, and I think we can, may have been the result of what paranormal researcher Dr. William Roll calls recurrent spontaneous psychokinesis. Um, meaning that in your, your psychologically, if you're in a really rough place, sometimes things can happen and you could accidentally move shit with your mind without knowing it. But to you, it just looks like it's being moved by an outside force. That's William Roll's explanation for poltergeist activity. It's not uh, an entity, uh, so to speak. It's it's you doing it and you, somehow, uh, you know, mind-matter right. connection. Um, and to muddy the waters even further, we have to understand that Bender wasn't the only UFO researcher visited by the Men in Black in 1953 before his story became generally known. And while we tend to think of the Men in Black as just agents or FBI, the weird shit that happens around them suggests otherwise. But I will save mm. that part for next week because then, <laughs> then shit gets real fucking weird. So that's that's just a taste, a taste of the beginning okay. of the men that's in black good. myth in the modern era. Crazy shit, crazy like shit. It. If a man that in black crazy. comes to your door, don't give them water or don't give them anything. Okay. <laughs> don't give them a pen. I shan't. But it's worth noting that that's kind of a that's a typical uh, trope in fairy lore, that you know you you go somewhere and the fairy wants something of yours, and and to, yeah. for some reason like it gives them some sort of power over you like a lock of hair or a you know some piece of your clothing like that's that's a kind right. of standard trope in uh, accounts of uh, it's for spell casting obviously obviously. So. <laughs> Mm. So yes, hopefully oh gosh, we won't be visited crazy. by the men in black ourselves. Um, it would be great yeah, if we I just wrap this up next week by saying um, part two is canceled. <laughs> right. If, if that's what happens. 
Well, that's what's really funny about the Men in Black when you come to think about it. Like, half the time, their their MO doesn't seem to fucking work because we still hear about all these stories. Um, but that, But there's a theory about that that I'll get into next week. Okay. All right. Great. Awesome. I love it. I can't wait. Hey, I can't wait. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Yes. I hope that you are also dying for the next episode. Um, and don't get visited by the Men in Black as well. If you do, you tell us about it. <laughs> like, Men in Black, if you're listening, we'd rather you didn't. Okay? Yeah, leave Great. our listeners thank alone. You. And us alone. Leave it. Mostly us. Um, (laughs) (laughs) If you bother our listeners, don't make them forget anything because we need the content. So if you've ever been been visited by Men in Black, please let us know. Or if you have any extreme plastic surgery stories, (laughs) please let us know those too. (laughs) They're both creepy, but in different ways. Yeah. Uncanny Valley. Oh, man. I want to become okay, a plastic so... surgeon so I can open up a practice and just call my clinic on Canny Valley. I love it. I think that's perfect. Why not? <laughs> um... Hidden, Hidden Valley Ranch, Uncanny Valley Ranch. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to see ranch being in there, and I don't like that. <laughs> um, okay, so <laughs> send us your stories at ghoulintentions.com. Um uh, apologies for this episode coming out a little late. We were just a little behind. We had a lot going on this past week. So, the world's um, crazy. Yeah. The world is crazy. Um, and so, yeah, Sinister Stories, goalintentions.com. Um, the patron, Patreon is, you know, patreon.com slash goalintentions. I think our first chat is tonight. Yes. Um, it will probably be over by the time this comes out, though. Um, we hope y'all made it. We're late. <laughs> we, we hope you enjoyed it. Hee hee ha ha ho ho. Um, but thank you guys, uh, everyone, for your support. Stay safe. Stay sane. And remember, it's, it's okay, okay to sleep, sleep with, with the, the lights, lights on. on. <laughs>